I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. Welcome again to The Empowering Neurologist. We're going to talk today to my good friend, Dr. Frank Lippman, who is the author of this new book, How to Be Well, The Six Keys to a Happy and Healthy Life. Now, you've seen Dr. Lippman on the program before. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Dr. Lippman is a real pioneer, and he's internationally recognized in the world of integrative and functional medicine. He is a New York Times bestselling author. We'll talk about some of his books in just a moment. Uh, Dr. Lippman runs his center in New York called 1111 Wellness. Uh, he, as I mentioned, has written a lot of books that we've had on the program before, including Total Renewal, Seven Keys to Resilience, Vitality, and Long-Term Health, Revive, End Exhaustion, and Feel Great Again, The New Health Rules, Simple Changes to Achieve Whole Body Wellness, and 10 Reasons You Feel Old and Get Fat. Well, there you go. Uh, now we're going to talk about how to be well because we don't want to feel old. We don't want to necessarily get fat. And Dr. Lippman is going to tell us how. So let's just jump right into our interview. Well, hello, Dr. Lippman. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Well, I'm better since I've, been, uh, since I've gotten your book. I think it's fantastic. And like all of your books, it is just absolutely a pleasure to read. I mean, you do such a great job. Your books are like nobody else's. They're uh, entertaining, but they're fun to look at. The, the graphics are always very uh, compelling. And I actually uh, want to start off with your six uh, important ideas of eat, sleep, move, protect, unwind, and connect. And we're going to put a graphic up, and I think you can see it now. This is a mandala that you actually have in your book uh, at the very beginning that I think encapsulates uh, those six ideas. Can you walk us through that? Sure. So the mandala I created because for so many years I was trying to understand how Eastern medicine worked from a Western perspective. And after all these years, I thought, okay, how, you know, the Eastern perspective has been so influential on me and my way of thinking. I thought, well, how can I put some of this, where all the knowledge that I've gained over the years from all the traditions, how can I put it into, a, into an Eastern perspective? And that's where the mandala came in because I'm obsessed with mandalas. I have them all over the office. So, you know, a mandala is usually used in a lot of traditions, in particular the Eastern traditions, and it's used uh, often as a focal point for meditation, but it really represents the cosmos. Um, and what I did with this mandala, what I try to do with the illustrator is to you know, usually with a mandala, there's a Buddha or something in the center, and then there's rings around um, which represent the cosmos. So the mandala that I created was you, the patient, in the middle, in the, in the center of this mandala, of this focal point, um, surrounded by these six rings, which I think are the key to, to getting healthy. And, you know, we start in the, the most material um, in the first layer, which is how to eat and then move out to the least material. So it's how to eat, how to sleep, how to move, how to protect oneself against all the chemicals out there, how to unwind or relax, and then the least material, how to connect and how to connect to oneself, but also how to connect to the earth at large, to your community and to the earth at large. Well, and again, we have the image up now, and uh, at first I didn't get it, but I realized that the outer ring uh, depicts people connecting. Uh, the yep. next ring in is an individual uh, protecting himself or herself with an oh, umbrella. I think there's the next rope, one is... The rope of unwind between the connect and the protect. 
The protect- oh, I see that. Very nice. Yeah. And then I think, is that the moon in blue? Yeah, and then it's the sleep, the move, and then the, the sleep. Yep. And, and food, then- and then obviously being being yeah. heart centric. So uh, yep. these are the keys, and you know, it in a very beautiful and graphic way. You seem to have put them uh, together, but your book really, uh, I think, captures this relatedness. What I like is, yeah, you've got individual sections and individual chapters, but they all kind of ultimately lead back to the same. Uh, connectedness, connecting to all of these things, sleep and food and each other, etc. So that's kind of a recurrent theme throughout the book. Yeah, and we know that. I mean, we all know that how you sleep, for instance, is going to affect um, all aspects of your health. In, in particular, let's say your your microbiome. Let's use your microbiome as an example. Your microbiome is affected by how you move, by exercise, by how you sleep, by the chemicals out there even by relationships. So, you know, what's happening, you know, what I find fascinating, a lot of the research that I'm seeing, you know, over the last couple of years is sort of um, articulating what we sort of know and now it's being confirmed by a lot of the research. And, you, you know, you do the same type of thing. A lot of what you've been preaching over the years, I noticed on your blog and what you talk about, so being confirmed by a lot of these new studies. Now you talk about, I mean, and everybody's asking, uh, you know, giving their ideas about what makes for the best diet. And I, I think uh, we're at a place where we understand the broad strokes, uh, but you make mention in your book about the perfect plate. Maybe you can walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, we created the perfect plate because everyone asks what's the best diet. And I don't think there is the best, one best diet for everyone. Having said that, I think the majority of people do well with eating tons of vegetables, especially green, green leafy vegetables and cruciferous vegetables, and then adding on some protein and fat. And fat, you know, as you've been talking about for so many years, not to be scared of fat, you know, as long as they're healthy fats. As I say, fats made in, in a factory or, or, fat, or fats made by man is probably harmful, but nat- natural fats or fats made by God are probably healthy. So don't be scared of the fats, but, you know, I learned a really interesting thing many years ago at Rancho La Puerta. I used to go teach it for many years, and the, um, uh, Deborah Zake, one of the founders, always used to say her motto was, make your main course um, the side plate and the side plate your main course. Basically, fill up with vegetables and then have some protein on the side. So um, I had the opportunity to teach there. It's really Rancho La Puerta, really a wonderful, wonderful spot. Um, so you, you uh, like so many these days, are talking about ma- your chapter, I think is called Make Friends with Fat. One of the things that I think is still very pervasive in the health food world is the idea that fruit juices are really exceptionally wonderful in terms of being uh, healthful for us. And you challenge that. That's on, based upon what? Well, it's an easy challenge. It's not, I mean, based on, on what we see clinically and based on tons of research, you know, you know, as I always say, eat your fruit. The idea, I mean, juicing became really, really popular and is still popular. And so people are putting all this, you know, fructose, all this sugar into them um, and it's creating all sorts of problems. You know, I, I have, I better not use names, but across the road from my office, I've had this ongoing argument was one of the big juice places in New York. And he's a whole 
philosophy is, well, it's different sugar. Fruit juice is different sugar. It's nonsense, you know. Um, it's not only sugar, but the fructose goes directly to the liver and then causes all sorts of problems. So fruit juice is bad news. I mean, it's basically soda without the bubbles. Yeah, and you know, there's nothing wrong with eating an apple. Yeah. Uh, occasionally exactly. eating a, uh, a banana. But I, I think your, you know, your point is very well taken, especially just a moment ago, uh, alluding that there are some really good sugars, natural sugars, as opposed to what other sugars there may be. But you know, whether it's agave nectar that sounds so wonderful or organic cane sugar, it is right. absolutely sugar, and I'm, I'm totally dialed yeah. in with you on that. I recently had the opportunity to interview Dr. Whitney Bowe. She has a new book out called uh, Dirty Skin. And like you, like so many others, she is calling sugar out uh, in terms of what it's doing to the gut and how that might manifest in the skin. But yet she's been able to see some significant benefits in using sugar topically as what she calls it, a sugar rub. Um, yeah. A lot of talk these days, and you talk about it in your new book, about the ketogenic diet. And uh, you sounded fairly positive about that. What's your take? Well, first of all, thank you. You turned me on. <laughs> you turned me on to this many years ago. And when I first heard you talk about it, I went, "Oh, this is crazy." Um, but you know, over the years, the more and more that I use it, and I, I, I really started using it more seriously after I had a patient of mine who was a type one diabetic, a really interesting woman, and she said, "Well, what do you think about a ketogenic diet?" And I said, well, try it. And sure enough, she got off her insulin and she is doing really well on a ketogenic diet. So over the years, I've been using it more and more for various problems. I, I tend to use it mainly for, you know, carbohydrate sensitive or intolerant people, you know, for people to lose weight. Um, neurodegenerative problems, absolutely. It seems to be really effective with, um, I mean, I don't have tons and tons of experience with it, but I'm really intrigued by it because when I do use it for specific problems, I've seen incredible results. I mean, the big key, and I think this is where some people go wrong, is if you are going to eat lots of fats, you really have to lower your carbs to a very low level. I mean, I think that's the biggest problem I've seen with people who increase their fats and think they're eating a ketogenic diet, and they'll not necessarily eat a muffin, but they're eating too many carbs with the fats, and that becomes a problem. But when they decrease their carbs to a really low level and they up their fats and they, you know, some people measure ketones, some, uh, some people don't, but I have seen incredible results and, you know, I can't argue with that. Well, let me say I measure my ketones and blood sugar and uh, I, I don't think it's really that hard and I think the more in ketosis you find yourself, the easier it all becomes. I'd like to, uh, for our viewers, call attention to a recent uh, video we did on the Empower Neurologist with Dr. Sarah Hallberg uh, in, uh, in terms of her recent study that she completed treating type 2 diabetes over a one-year period of time with a, uh, a ketogenic diet and direct contact with patients. And she found a, that 96% of her patients who uh, in the intervention group were able to reduce or discontinue their insulin 100% of her patients were able to discontinue another class of drugs called sulfonylurea. So uh, for people who are watching this and learning about the ketogenic diet, that's a great interview to watch. Uh, and in addition, 
interviewed a physician with type 1 autoimmune insulin-dependent diabetes yep. who put himself on a ketogenic diet and had uh, phenomenal uh, results. So uh, well, it's great that you, you know, are vetting all of these new sort of trendy ideas and, uh, you know, offering some really sweet, kind, balanced, um, you know, vetting of these uh, ideas. And I think it was really, um, the way you do it is, is wonderful. Uh, you thanks. do spend a, a um, reasonable amount of time talking about sleep with good reason. So what can you tell us we really need to know about sleep? Well, sleep is one of those areas that people just don't take seriously enough. And I would say um, at least three quarters of the patients that I see either don't take it seriously enough or have a problem with sleep. Um, and, you know, sleep is when your body restores itself. You know, you need sleep. You know, I'm sure you've spoken about this on the, on the show often. The whole idea of the glymphatic system. Now we know we have a cleaning crew in the brain that only works when you sleep. So the idea is if you have, you know, the, the metaphor that I use all the time and I explain to people, if you have a party one night and you wake up the next morning and there's a mess and you don't clear it up and you, the next night you have another party and the mess gets bigger and this happens every night. If you don't clear up the mess, your, your dining room, your living room is going to be a, an absolute mess. And this is what happens to the brain. If you don't sleep, that cleaning crew doesn't come out at night and clean up all you know the, the toxins and the breakdown of the, the, the proteins that, that collect during the day, which is normal. So sleep is crucial. And, and, and especially in New York City, I'm sure it's a problem all over. People just don't take it seriously. You know, I've got no time to sleep. They're just too busy. Not realizing that sleep is actually an active process or there's a lot of activity going on in your body when you're sleeping and don't take it for granted. Well, uh, first, let me say I'm still concerned that my, our living room is messed up from the party last night. I, I, it isn't, but I, just the thought of that makes I'm a little bit compulsive in that regard. Me, uh, my uh, hair stand up. And I think you know, your point is really uh, well taken that sleep is a very active engagement indeed. Things don't go to sleep and rest and, and, and pick it up the next day. That when you sleep, you are literally opening the door for the cleaning crew. And yep. at the same time, consolidating your memories as well. Um, and, and, and when you talked about sleep, uh, it really kind of brought up the sort of paleo or ancestral conversation uh, in my mind about how, you know, our ancestors until very, very recently uh, experienced virtually complete darkness at night, yep. uh, which is something that very few of us actually get these days. Right, you know, it's interesting, and, and the whole rhythm aspect of our health is also ignored, and sleep is your primary rhythm. You know, when I first got out of medical school, I went to work in the bush in South Africa, and when you're working in the bush, there was no electricity, so you went to bed, people went to bed when it got dark. I mean, there were kerosene lamps and, yeah, a little bit of light, but for the most part, you went to bed when it was dark and you woke up when it was light. And you didn't see, a, I mean, this is complicated, but you saw a lot of diseases of poverty. But I think a lot of problems we see today are because we're ignoring the natural light that we should be getting outside during the day, not all the artificial light that we sit under for the whole day. And actually, I've also come to believe it's not only the light, but it's actually the darkness of the night, which is just as important. So it's not just darkening your home, but to get that darkness at night 
is actually really important. And I know that from being when I go and I'm, I'm more in the wilderness or more out in, in, um, in places where there's, where there's less electricity or you can see the stars or you can be outside at night without all um, artificial light. I mean, you feel much better. So I think this whole idea of body rhythms and we as human beings being microcosms of the macrocosm and being affected by what's going on in nature is really important. So it's not only the light during the day, but I think the darkness at night is is, is probably as important and we don't really understand that or, or, or take that into account. Well, it's been said that 75% of the world's population lives in an environment that precludes them from seeing stars at night, meaning ambient light. So, you know, for a large segment of the, of the world population now, they are deprived of that depth of darkness that you're talking about. Right. Well, what about blue light? Where do we stand on that? Major problem, I think. I mean, I saw, for instance, this morning, I saw this young woman, um, basically a healthy young woman, who came in exhausted and achy. And, uh, and she said, I'm just not sleeping well. And when I asked her about her sleep, it was because she has an office or she, uh, her company has an office in LA. She's on the phone or the computer to 10.30, sometimes 11.30 at night. So she's going to bed at 12.30, 1 o'clock. And she said she's sleeping the same amount of hours that she used to sleep. So she goes to bed at 1 o'clock, and she was waking up at 8 o'clock in the morning. But for some reason, she's feeling tired and exhausted as if she hasn't slept. And I'm sure it has to do with all the blue light and the, her whole body rhythms have been shifted. So I, I think, you know, not only is technology a problem because of the addictive aspect of it, but I think the blue light is a huge problem. And probably, and we're not sure, but probably the EMFs, coming from all these gadgets too, are, are likely to be a problem. So I don't think that all these gadgets are benign and, and uh, obviously they're helpful and they can be um, helpful in, 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 in our lives, but we need to be careful of the negative aspects of all of this technology. Why not uh, induce sleep with pharmaceuticals? <laughs> well, if I am going to induce sleep with any pharma, well, what will become a pharmaceutical soon will be CBD oil, oh, um, which actually I left out of the book because I thought it was too controversial, but now it doesn't seem to be as controversial. You know, uh, it shouldn't be. It's as no, natural I, I, a product as the day is long. It just it came from, you know, it's associated with marijuana and... And as we recently learned, that, that's a terrible thing. So Yeah, and it really works well. But anyway, I think, I mean, pharmaceuticals, they're not dealing with the underlying issue like most pharmaceuticals. You tend to get addicted to them. They're very hard to get off. Um, as <clears throat> this is a little bit of a different topic, but related, there was a big article in the New York Times this Sunday about the, the problems with antidepressants that the people didn't realize how addictive they were and how they, hard they are to get off because of the withdrawal symptoms. Same thing with sleeping pills. They're not as easy to get off. So once you start taking them, you not only is it not treating the underlying issue, but you get addicted to them and they're hard to get off. So, to, you know, that's the last thing I recommend if you have a sleep problem is to just pop a sleeping pill. To take one now and then on a flight or whatever is fine, but to start getting into the habit of taking them every night, big problem. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you're having a long flight, 
what can you do uh, for the, the jet lag or how you're going to feel when you finally arrive wherever you're going? Right. Well, melatonin, I use melatonin as, because I see sleep as a rhythm. So, you know, I used to travel to South Africa a lot and, the t you know, the six or seven hour time difference. So what I recommend is you take melatonin. Let's say I'm flying to South Africa and it's six hours, seven hours ahead. I'll take melatonin when it's nighttime there. And as I will get there, the first thing in the morning, if I get there, I'll go for a walk and get natural light. So I try to get my body back to the cycle and the rhythm of wherever you're going. So melatonin um, is really helpful to take at the time of uh, nighttime where you're going and going for a walk and even having a cup of coffee in the morning just to get your to your system going. I, I, very uh, similar yeah. to what I do. I think that's really very important. Yeah. I also recommend uh, going easy on the alcohol, though they want to give you alcohol yeah. on the plane, yep. and really not eating very much. I, um, yeah. I find that uh, for not just myself, but for many people, you know, if they're serving yeah. meal after meal, if you're flying from uh, LA to, uh, to Australia to uh, Sydney, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of meals and you're not up moving around. You're just packing that food away and it makes it very difficult to adapt. That said, you're not up moving around. It segues to our next topic. You did spend a, a fair amount of time in the book talking about the importance of movement. So uh, how does that enter in? Right. Well, you know, I made a, a, a point of calling it movement as opposed to exercise because I want people to get out of this idea that they need to go to the gym to exercise because I see so many people who go to the gym in the morning, obsessed about going to the gym in the morning, and then they sit all day on their chairs, which probably counteracts all that exercise in the morning. So it's about moving your body the way it's intended in nature. So not only <clears throat> getting up and walking around, but you know, getting up from sitting down, um, you, just generally moving your body in various ways that you a little bit more functional. It's not just about running on a treadmill or riding a bicycle, although I love my bicycle. It's just moving your body just to keep you limber and, and free as you get older because as we get older, the tissues tend to tighten up. You know, that soft tissue, the, the, the interstitial tissue, the fascia tends to tighten up as we get older. So it's, it's, it's more than just going to the gym. It's really moving your body, stretching, doing yoga, um, being the animal that, that, that you are. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was taken by your um, decision to focus on what you considered your best exercise, and that was the deadlift. How did you come up with that? Well, in all honesty, I didn't come up with that. I, I used experts, um, and the expert I used in exercise was an ex-Marine, really great understanding of the body, really function. You know, talk about functional medicine, he had a really good functional uh, perspective about how one uh, <clears throat> uses the body. And uh, his whole thing was if you're going to choose one exercise, a deadlift gets almost all aspects wow. of your body. So that's a, so it came from Adam, not from me, because I, I, I hardly ever do deadlifts. But, um, <laughs> but you also talk about high-intensity interval training. Yeah, that I do. High-intensity interval training, we all sort of know now um, to be probably the most effective way of doing aerobic uh, exercise. We get the most bang for your buck, increase in the amount of mitochondria or improvement in the functioning of the mitochondria. So, yeah, high-intensity high, um, inter, intensity interval training, I think, is a no-brainer. 
especially for people who don't have time. Um, but um, the deadlift is one thing I personally need to do more of. Um, that's probably if I had to choose one weakness in the whole book that I don't try adhere to or I don't do as much as it would be that one. I, I like the candor. That's great. We're all doing the best we can right. with within the parameters of our lives. So yeah. um, one part that I, I really took to heart, and I really think it's very important, I think helps to distinguish your book from others, and that is your emphasis on creativity and especially creativity with your hands. Yeah, I mean, that partly comes from uh, my wife is a ceramic artist. And I've seen what it does for her and some, you know, I'm friendly with some artists, um, you know, one of her friends knits. Um, so I'm just always intrigued by seeing her work and seeing how she is after working. Now, is it because it's a meditation? Is it just because she's, you know, working with her hands? I'm not sure what it is, but there's something about, uh, being creative and especially working with your hands. I mean, I see it with gardeners. Um, so, you know, these are the little things that we, we just take for granted. We don't realize that they have health benefits. I, I think um, that is so very important. Uh, truth of the matter is where I do these interviews at this desk is actually the same place where I do my uh, fly tying. I, right. Here's my vice. Uh, it, it's not a vice, actually. It's something I really enjoy. But this is my vice, and I have, I get to be creative and use all kinds of various colors of things. And then I create uh, flies that I might or might not work to catch fish. And uh, see, look how, look at that beautiful fly right there. You see that's that? Great. How pretty that is? <laughs> but anyway, no, I, I mean, can't tell fantastic. you how much I enjoy uh, sitting here putting on some music and just trying to be creative and, and making, and it's a little challenging with my hands. I think it's great. Um, yeah. The last thing I'd like to cover because you made such, you created such a beautiful description of why this is important. And I really think of, you know, it's a very, very important message that you left us with. And that is to be of service. Yeah. So there's a concept, there's a, um, a philosophy from South Africa called Ubuntu. Ubuntu means what makes us human is a humanity we show each other. Mm. And it's just wonderful to see it in, in practice. Now, South Africa is not perfect, but when I actually work with a, a foundation called the Ubuntu Fund, so I go back quite a bit and I see how this concept um, works in these communities. And um, I just think we need a little bit more Ubuntu. And now that's not just from South Africa. Most traditions have this same concept. You know, um, Buddhism, it's compassion. Um, the Native American tradition have Most traditions talk about being of service. Um, and I think what, what you get, what I get personally, what I've seen, and I have so many stories of patients who were really sick and I said, you know, your diet is fine, you go to the gym, but there's no meaning in your life. Why don't you just, you know, whatever. You know. There was one woman, for instance, who uh, just wasn't getting better. And I threw up my hands in a joke. I said, why don't you go to Africa and, you know, work for a nonprofit? And I hadn't heard from her. And about a year later, I got an email, you know, telling me she went, she listened to me. She went to Africa. She's working at this uh, nonprofit and her chronic fatigue is gone. 
she feels fantastic. Oh, that's so just that, a beautiful yeah, think, story. Yeah, being of service actually does more for the person who's actually doing it than the people you're serving. And I think the, 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 the health benefits to oneself when you're of service are probably even greater than the benefits that other people are getting when you are of service. So Tell I think, us the African word again, Ubuntu. Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Uh, you know, Desmond Tutu talks about it a lot. Uh, it's a, just a, it's a beautiful philosophy, and I think most cultures have that. I just love that term. Well, I want to leave it at that. That's a great, great place to, uh, to take a deep breath and uh, just appreciate uh, the time we got to spend together. Great book, and uh, you know, certainly on top of that great work that you're doing, I want to thank you for spending time with all of us today. Thank you. Thank you, David, and thank you for all the work you do and all the work you've done. I really appreciate you, love you, and keep it up. I'll see you soon. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, what a great time that was. Uh, I very much enjoy speaking with Dr. Lippman and spending time with him as well. The book, again, How to Be Well, Six Keys to a Happy and Healthy Life, really looks at those important lifestyle factors uh, that we need to really pay attention to. Uh, we shouldn't be living our lives hoping that there's a cure for all of the th situations for which uh, our lifestyle choices may be strongly influential. A very uh, wonderful book. I like uh, the fact that it's a picture book. It really makes it enjoyable to read, as well as some really compelling information. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter, and bye for now.